We're going to be looking in 2 Kings chapter 4 today, the message I call Empty Vessels for God's Blessings. Empty Vessels for God's Blessings. 2 Kings chapter 4 verse 1. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. And then he said, Go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt and you and your sons live on the rest. Now, this morning, we'll be considering one of these mighty miracles of the Old Testament prophet Elisha, who was called the man of God. And in fact, we see, if you'll take the time some other time to read in Second uh, Kings, you'll see that there was miracle after miracle after miracle that was performed by the power of God through this great Old Testament prophet Elisha. A woman was miraculously given the ability to conceive a child. And then after a time, that child would die tragically. And then that child would be raised back to life. That was Elisha. Uh, they were cooking stew one time, and somebody gathered the wrong kind of gourd or mushroom, something, put it in there, and it was poisoning everybody. But he was able to heal that pot so that nobody died from the malady. There was a spring that the waters had become bitter and foul, and he was able then to heal the waters of that spring so that they were made drinkable. Naaman the Syrian was healed of his lepro leprosy. A, a few loaves of barley were multiplied to feed a hundred men with leftovers uh, left over. He made an iron axe head swim, and there was more. <laughs> Those were just a few. Mighty miracles by the man of God, Elisha. In fact, he was such a mighty man of miracles that he even performed a miracle after he was dead. That's no small thing to do. Second Kings chapter 13, verse 20, and Elisha died. And they buried him, and the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming end of the year. And it came to pass, as they were burying a man, that, behold, they spied a band of men. And they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up on his feet. Wow. I want to know what happened to the pallbearers. How about y'all? I mean, uh, man. You know, the, the, seriously though, when we look about all of these miracles, we need to remind ourselves that the overwhelming majority of God's people have lived and died without ever seeing a bona fide miracle of God. 
Now, we use that term fairly loosely. I was, had a conversation not long ago with a, 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 another fr- a friend of mine. He was talking about a young man who lost control of his vehicle and, and the car flipped twice, I think it was, and, and then hit a tree. And he said that the kid walked away and he was hardly hurt. And he said, man, it was a miracle. And, and I didn't correct him. Uh, but I will tell you, that was not a miracle. I would say that young man was blessed to walk away from such an accident. Wouldn't you agree? Blessing. But that's not a miracle. A miracle would have happened if the car would have suddenly stopped in midair, righted itself, set back down, defying the laws of physics, and then he drove it away. Now, that would have been a miracle, okay? You see, a miracle happens when the, the ordinary rule or order of things is suspended. Uh, water is turned into wine all the time. God uses grapevines and grapes to do it. But Jesus turned the water into wine by suspending, you see, the ordinary way that things are done. That's a miracle. And the overwhelming majority of God's people have never, ever seen a real miracle of God. Though we use that term quite a bit. There are times when miracles happen in Scripture that God would use to communicate divine truth. We could look in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1, for example, and it would tell us about miracles in the Old Testament. The parting of the Red Sea, the feeding of the people of Israel with the manna, the drinking of the water from the rock. All of these are mentioned in this text. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. You see, all of those Old Testament miracles surrounding that wilderness journey all taught a message and that message was to point people in some way to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus performed a a number of miracles that are recorded for us in the gospel of John and every single one of them is called a sign. That's a miracle with the message and the message was always the same that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. That is that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. He did things that no mortal man could do. Only God could do these things. And so they were signs that he was indeed who he said he was. But Most of the time when miracles were done, it was just like that turning the water into wine. Who did that benefit? Well, it benefited those people. It certainly taught a message about Jesus' power. But there was, for the most part, it just benefited whoever it was. So it was in our text. Here's a widow woman who comes to Elisha. Now, Elisha perhaps had learned from his predecessor, uh, Elijah, about the importance of having somebody to take over once he is gone. And so, Elisha started what was known as the School of the Prophets. And the people who attended the School of the Prophets were known as the Sons of the Prophets. And in this scene, we're told about one of those. One of those men had died, apparently very suddenly, which is a tragic thing. Here's the man training for the ministry, training to be a prophet. And suddenly, he's dead. And his widow then, verse 1, comes to Elisha. Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor has come to take my two sons to be his slaves. He was a faithful man. He died suddenly. And he died owing money. In the Old Testament, death didn't cancel the debt. And the worst part about it is, if you owed money and you couldn't pay it, they repossessed you. They didn't just make it go away. Uh, 
If you owed somebody and couldn't pay them, then you had to go to work for them until that debt was paid. I guarantee you there'd be a lot less people uh, beating out on their debts these days if they had to work them off instead of just getting them all gone. But that's the way it was in the Old Testament. And it was so serious about it that if you happened to die before that debt was paid, they could take your sons then and cause them to work that off until the last bit of it was paid or... Until that marvelous thing happened called the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, every debt was canceled. Every 50 years, all the property had to be returned to its previous owner. Oh, that was a glorious time. But you know, as I do, it got to be pretty hard to borrow money about the year 45. What do you think? You know, I just, uh, uh, no, I don't think. Well... 50 years was a year of jubilee and they could be restored. But until then, you had to work and that debt had to be paid. And so that's exactly what this woman has described. My husband was a faithful man. He served you. He served God. Now he's dead and he's left money that he hasn't paid. So Elisha responded to her dilemma by calling her to borrow empty vessels from everybody. And all those vessels then were filled, and when the last vessel was full, God's blessing stopped. Now, at that point, we might could see ourselves in the woman's story saying, Hey, God, I, I need more blessing. But God would respond to that saying, Hey, lady, bring more pots. Bring more pots. You know, we long for God's blessings on our life. We long for God to bless us more, long for God to use us more. But I wonder how many times God would respond to us, I'm blessing you now as much as you are able to bear. God is not limited. God certainly has the divine resources and his resources are not limited. But our capacity to receive those blessings are limited. The real issue then is not, God, will you bless me? But the real issue is, God, am I blessable? Am I blessable? We might need to think then that there's more that we need to be doing. Well, surely I can do something and then I can be sure that I'm going to be blessed more. And really, this lady was kind of presenting that idea to Elisha because she said, you know, my husband, he was faithful to me. He was faithful to you. He was faithful to God. And so, you know, maybe there's something you can do. Now, I honestly don't think this lady was looking for a miracle. The, the way she framed her discussion to him was, I think she hoped that Elisha might intercede for her uh, on behalf of, on her benefit then to her creditor. That she might go, that he might go and talk to this person that they owed money and maybe talk her out of repossessing her sons uh, because of the difficulty of her situation never dreaming never dreaming that what would happen was going to happen what did she bring empty vessels empty vessels so while we might be thinking that there's more that we be, need to be doing so that God could bless me, it may very well be that God would look at us and say, you know, you're already too busy for me to bless. Empty vessels. 
I think there's a great lesson in this passage for us to learn about what we need to bring in order to receive more of God's blessings and how God operates then to supply those blessings. Because you see, we want our life to be blessed. We want our church to be blessed. We want our family to be blessed. We want our children to be blessed. We want our nation to be blessed. How does this work? Well, there's three things that I want to share with you today. And the first thing is that there was an acknowledgement on part of this woman of her need. Uh, she came to Elisha. She confessed very plainly what her situation was. Uh, she didn't mince any words about it. She said, my husband has died. He died with a debt. They're going to take my sons and put them in slavery. She was desperate enough and honest enough to face her dire need and to state it before the Lord and apparently before everybody else too. She was impoverished. No doubt the creditors had already taken everything that she had that was worth anything and yet still there was a debt that couldn't be paid. In our day, debt isn't as disgraceful as it was in the Old Testament. To them, it would not have mattered how faithful this man was or how well he had served or how dedicated he was to God. He was going to be remembered only for leaving his family in debt and in disgrace. She faced this issue squarely. This is what we have. I am impoverished. It's a hard thing for us to do. You might remember Revelation chapter 3 in the church at Laodicea in verse 17. They were saying, I am rich. I have become wealthy. I have need of nothing. But Jesus said, you don't know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy of me. There's only one place you can get this kind of gold, and that's from the Lord. Uh, there's only one kind of place that you can get this kind of white garment, and that's from the Lord. Uh, there's only one place where you can get the kind of eye salve they needed, and that was from the Lord. You come to me, and I will give you the things that you stand in need of. Listen to me, people of God today. There are things in your life. There are things in this world, things in my life that only God can provide for us. And as long as we're out here thinking that we're going to be able somehow to make it, somehow to get by, I'm going to do enough, going to try harder, whatever it is that we think. We think, well, we've got all the resources that we need. And we do have resources. I have all this talent. We are talented people. We're smart. Yes, we are highly intelligent. We are creative. Yes, we are creative. But, folk, God, I think, has given us all a remarkable reminder of just how dependent we are on him in the last few months there are things in our nation and things in our world folk that only God can fix we might say but look what all I've got God said you don't have nothing so getting us to that point where we realize just that we are impoverished well, though we long for God's blessings and help, a lot of times the very thing he's already blessed us with is in the way of the things that he longs to bless us with and the things we really need. This woman, to all appearances, had nothing. But then the prophet told her to do something, to go borrow something. To those of you at home, I'm not leaving. I'm just going here to the front row here. I'll be back. Go borrow empty vessels. 
She had nothing. God said, go borrow more nothing. Do you think maybe the Lord wanted us to know that us having nothing is not intimidating to him at all? Go borrow empty vessels. So there was an acknowledgement of her poverty. Then the second thing we see in the passage is there's an assessment. An assessment to perform. The prophet asked her, what do you have in the house? And her response was, nothing. Uh, well, I, I, I do have that little jar of oil. So while in our response to God and in our need for his blessings and our approach to him seeking then his blessing, there has to be an acknowledgement of our need and understanding that without God we have nothing. But then at the same time, we also take stock at what we have in hand. We are dependent by nature. But if we'll look around, we might find ourselves like the woman saying, well, I have nothing but... <laughs> I do have this. <laughs> I have a cruise of oil. Let me tell you something. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a lot more than a cruise of oil. You have resources. You see, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place in Christ. There, you have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. You've been bought by the king. And you're a child of the king. So you do have resources. We need to recognize, though, what we have. And that's what this woman had. She had nothing in a sense. But, oh, well, I have nothing but this. She knew what she had. But she didn't know what she had. And in fact, there was no way for her to know what she had. Because all she could see was a cruise of oil. But she didn't know that God was going to turn that into an oil well. Now I know what you're thinking. I'm not talking about that black petroleum oil kind of stuff. Oh no, I'm talking about something much more valuable than that. What she had was olive oil. Have you priced a bottle of olive oil lately? <laughs> way more valuable than petroleum oil. And uh, she didn't realize it. All she had was a crude, just a little jar of oil. And she didn't know she had an oil well. How could she know she had an oil well? But how many times do you see that same principle play out in the Word of God? We might see just a little boy with a slingshot and a few rocks, but God sees a giant killer. We might see a little boy with a sack lunch and five loaves and two fishes, but God sees a buffet that'll feed 5,000 people. We might see an old dead, rotten uh, donkey carcass over there with a fresh jawbone in it, and all we see is something smelly and stinky, but God sees a weapon of night mass destruction. Y'all are looking at me funny. <laughs> Obviously, you haven't looked in Judges 15 uh, lately. Judges chapter 15, the story of Samson and how he took the jawbone of a donkey and won a mighty victory against the enemies of God. You see, we only see the ordinary, but God sees. God sees what we don't see. She had, she knew what she had, but she didn't know what she had with God's blessings. We never know what God can do with what we have at hand. 
I love the story in the Old Testament of Zerubbabel, who was the one who led the return uh, of, of God's people back from Babylon, uh, back to the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple. And of course, he started with the house of God. Where else would he start? Praise <laughs> Amen. He started at the house of God. That was Zerubbabel. And he thought about all the things that Jerusalem had once been. What a mighty city it had once been. How beautiful that temple had once been. Covered in gold and all of that huge beauty. And all the things that it was in the past. And all those things were gone. He looks at a mountain of rubble. And he puts together a few rocks. And he builds an altar. It looked like nothing compared to what it had been before. But oh, God sent the prophet Zechariah to Jerubbabel and he said, this is a day of small things. He was reminding him that yes, this looks small, but don't you look down on small things because God delights to use small things. Yes, it looked small compared to what it had been, but the start had begun. And God was going to do great and mighty things. So he tells him, you have started this with your hands. And you're going to finish it with your hands. That looked to be an impossible task. And it was in the flesh. But God made it happen. This is a day of small things. God delights. God delights to use small things. What have you got at home? Nothing. Well, <laughs> I do have a little bottle of oil. <clears throat> so there was an acknowledgement of her need. There was an assessment that she needed to make. And she did make it. She saw. She knew what she had. But <laughs> she had no idea what she had. And then we see the, the marvelous actions of obedience. Verse 3, then he said, Go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors. Empty vessels do not gather just a few. And when you come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. And so we see very clearly in the text that there were things that she had to do. One commentary on this passage said God may have rebellious children, but he doesn't have spoiled children. I like that. God has things for us to do. And there were things that she had to do. Yes, she had to acknowledge her poverty. Yes, she had to take an accurate assessment of what she had. Although she knew what she had, she didn't know what she had. But then there was work to be done. And she had to do it. He told her first to go borrow empty vessels. I say this all the time. I know I do. Uh, but I, I mean it every time I say it. I hope God's got this on video because I want to see that. I want to see the look on her face. And I brought this just so you could see. You see, we have bottles today that are clear and you can see through them. But in, this, in her day, what she had was like this. Once you start pouring, you can't see what's going on inside of that thing. So here she's got this big old pot. And there she's got this little pot. And she starts pouring. Now, you know what's about to happen. Well, of course, it's, it just keeps going. <laughs> it, it, it's still going. It's going. And it, 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 it's going. Did I mention it was going? It's going. It, it's, it's, it's still going. Did, did I tell you it's still going? It's in, oh, that one's full. <laughs> Bring me another one. Let's start this. Time. Here it goes again. Going, 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 going. 
until it's filled every pot that she was able to borrow. And then it was done. Hmm. The same God that made that all happen could have conceivably filled every one of those pots all by himself. You understand that? He didn't need her to do that. He could have done that. But he used her. He used her. I want to propose to you today that the same God still uses us. No, he doesn't have to, but he chooses to. And it is a blessing then when God chooses to use us and gives us the opportunity of joining him and what it is that he is doing. And so here she has to borrow the vessels. She has to pour uh, the oil then into the vessels. I I love the fact that God made her go in and shut the door. You say, well, why did he do that? You know why he did that. Because if God hadn't shut the door, I guarantee you everybody in the neighborhood would have been trying to get a hold of this cup when she was done. Because that's the way we are. Man, I got to have that cup. When Moses made that brazen serpent and put it up on a pole, what did the people start doing? They started worshiping the serpent so that it had to be destroyed. Listen, a cup is just a cup. A, a, A serpent is just a serpent. But we are forever looking for what God did in somebody else's life and trying to take that as a formula. Oh, that's just what I've been looking for. That's just what I've needed. Somebody starts talking about, well, you know, I I, I took a closet in my house and turned it into a war room. Let me tell you something. A closet ain't nothing but a closet. Okay? Hate to bust your bubble. That's the way it is. I had a good friend who went on a a cruise one time with one of the most prominent preachers in America at the time. And uh, they actually went to his church and they got to tour his church and tour his office before they went on the cruise. I asked him what was most precious about it. He said, oh, they took us into this pastor's office. and Inside the office, there was another little office in there and I was able to get down and and he had, there was nothing in that little room uh, except just a carpet, a rug on the floor. Uh, But that's where pastor so-and-so went and prayed and sometimes he'd lay down and pray. So I got to pray where brother so-and-so prayed. Well, I hate to bust your bubble again, but you know, a carpet is just a carpet. Even if it's a really cool one like this new one is that we've got up here today, uh, it's still just a carpet. We are forever looking for something, some prop, some formula, something that we can do, and and that's going to be it. But let me tell you something. It wasn't the carpet. It wasn't the serpent. It wasn't the bottle that she had. It was the power of Almighty God that made the difference. It is the presence of God and the help of God and the blessings of God. Don't be distracted by what God is doing. We are obsessed with methodologies and God knows it. When she went in then and poured that uh, all of those bottles full, however many vessels she had with that one. But, you know, when she went in, she just had one of these. There was only one bottle with oil in it. But so when she was done, there was a whole room full. <laughs> this was just one among many. Isn't that great? Because then you just say, look at what God did. Nobody could just pick out that one. It's just one. God shut the door. Don't let anybody see what's happening. I don't, I don't want to have to tear up your pot. To keep them from all wrestling it and fighting over it and worshiping it. You know, the oil stopped when the empty pots stopped. 
I've given this lady a lot of grief over that over the years. She doesn't know it. I'm going to have to apologize her when I get to heaven because I figured out something this week. I've, I've made many a comment about, you know, all the things that God have us, has for us, but we just don't bring enough pots. But I had to realize this week as I was getting ready to preach this sermon that uh, there is not a hint of a rebuke in this passage about this lady not bringing enough pots. It's not in there. Uh, now, it could have happened. Certainly, Elisha was capable of doing that. We jump forward again to 2 Kings chapter 13. Remember, that's uh, the story about when Elisha's about dead. In fact, he's on his deathbed. But not only did he perform a miracle after he died, he performed one literally while he was on his deathbed. He called the king of Israel in with a bow and arrow, and he said, shoot an arrow, and he shot an arrow, and he called it the arrow of God's deliverance. And he told him then, you take those arrows, and you strike the ground. And the Bible says in 2 Kings 13 and 18 that he struck the ground three times and stopped and then Elisha the man of God was angry he was angry at him and said you should have struck five or six times then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it but now you will strike Syria only three times you see Elisha had no problem rebuking somebody when they stopped too quickly and he would have had no problem rebuking this woman if she hadn't brought enough pots but that's not what he said in fact, he says, you sell the oil and pay your debt and then you and your sons can live on the rest. What kind of deal was that? How many of y'all would take that deal today? I'm going to pay off all your debt and then after you pay off all your debt, you can live the rest of your life on what you got left. Would y'all take that? I'd take that. <laughs> That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? All right. Elisha didn't rebuke this woman for not bringing enough pots. She brought enough to pay her debt and provide for her and her sons. It's a pretty big deal. She brought exactly enough for God to supply the need. So what do we learn then about God's blessings on our lives? We tend to look for a formula, folks. We're trying to figure out a way that we can do the right things or say the right things or behave in the right way. And then when we do this, we behave the right way. We do the right things. We say the right things. We have the right kind of formula. Then God will just have to bless us. But let me remind you, folks, God will never be in obligation to any man. God does not owe us. He'll not be obligated. We can't bind him or obligate him by something that we do. We can't do it. We can't do it. We learn then that God responds to our honesty. When we need help and we know we need it, God knows that. And he knows when we're faking. <laughs> he knows when the need's real. And he knows when we're telling him the truth. God cannot help us, or perhaps I should say God will not help us, when we already have more than we can handle. When we're not doing a good job with the blessings that he's already given us. We really can't expect God to give us more. I spent my whole life serving God's churches. And if I had another life, I'd, spend, I'd be glad if I could spend it the same way. I can't even begin to tell you how many times that I have prayed over God's churches, praying for God to bless us, praying for God to send us more people, praying for God to send us more families, more kids, more people to serve. There are times... Times when I know it as nearly as I know my own name. 
that God would remind us that maybe we're not doing as good a job as we should be doing with what he's already given us. How can we expect him to send us more? If we're not doing what we ought to be doing with what we've already got. You see, she, she had a real need. And she was able to bring then those empty vessels. The true empty vessels for God to fill them. And he did. We can learn from this message then this morning that God likes to work with things that we've already got. He likes to use things that we already have. That a lot of our spiritual growth and blessedness comes not from discovering some new thing or some new methodology, but discovering what God wants to do with what he has already given us. Young families, you want God to bless you and God want God to use you in a mighty way. Look around your feet. Look around your feet. What have you got in your house? What have you got in your house? That's where God starts. We learn then that God's blessing on our life requires our action of obedience. And lastly, we learn that God does a lot of his best work where nobody sees it but us. Where we join in with him and do the work and follow him in obedience. And all people see on the outside, they just look and say, man, you're blessed. And you can smile at them and say, you're right. I am blessed. But down deep in your heart, you know something else. You know how hard you worked. You know what God asked you to do. You know maybe all the years that you had to put in of sacrifice and toil. You know the times when you didn't have nothing and you called on God. And God then didn't just give it all to you. But he gave you the opportunity to work. Other people don't see all that. They don't need to see it. Well, but if I work for it, doesn't that mean that I, I earned it? I got it the old-fashioned way? Listen, there's a lot of people who work hard every day of their life, and all they'll ever get is enough food to eat on their table. We've been blessed a whole lot more than that. So when we are able then to join God, God gives us that work and we have that work to do and we do that work and we're blessed. I, I'm reminded of that professional golfer who had a great golf shot one time and somebody said, man, yeah, what a lucky shot. He said, you know, I've discovered something. The more I practice, the luckier I get. There's work for us to do. But at the end, we know something. It's not just luck. It is the blessings of Almighty God. So, when it comes to our blessedness and experiencing God's blessings, can we learn today that it's not just about how hard we work and it's not about a formula that we follow, but it's about recognizing that we are a dependent people it's about assessing what we have, though we never really know what we have until God gets done with it. It's about then acknowledging God's work in our life, how much we need Him, 
I hope today that uh, all of us as God's people, both here in this building and those of you watching from home, will have a better understanding of how much we need the Lord in our life. The Bible tells us that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ, and that leaves us to ask a question, are you in Christ? If you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are. You are in Christ, and He's in you. Have you followed Him in baptism? Are you serving Him in one of His churches? Are you living for Him and seeking His blessing and in life? Maybe you find yourself facing a crisis today and you wonder how you're going to get out. I want you to know today that God knows where you are. And you need to bring that crisis to Him. Because God has the resources to help you. And he may start by showing you you've got something that you don't know you have. Let's stand together, please.